I want you to turn in your Bibles as we look at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to be reading a long passage this morning. This is a passage that is the Christmas story. What an iconic passage of Scripture we're going to be reading. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. And as we read, I want you to think about all the times that you've heard this passage read. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for their, this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and, and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in, their, in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, do not be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this, this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Wow. What a wonderful passage of scripture that gives us the account of God's son stepping off the portals of heaven and, and wrapping himself in flesh and veiling his glory. This is such a critical part of the gospel. It is the beginning of the story of salvation of man whenever he comes, when Christ comes to the earth. And without this moment, Easter doesn't make sense. And without Easter, Christmas doesn't make sense. This is the beginning bookend of the life that came to save you and I from our sins. As we read through this passage of Scripture, though, many times we look and we, we find out that, um, that our minds go back more towards the nostalgia of the times that we read this, this passage. Uh, I... I, I, I'm a little bit ashamed to let you know that I, I have not seen uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I know. I'm so sorry. I, I feel like I need to repent. The same reaction happened in the staff meeting whenever I shared that with them. But I do know enough to tell you that this is the same passage of scripture that, that what's the little boy's name? 
Linus? Linus. I, I, I don't even watch Charlie Brown. I'm sorry. But Linus, the little boy with the blanket, this is what he reads. This is what Christmas is all about. And whenever we hear this passage of scripture, our minds are taken to the Charlie Brown Christmas. Our, our, our minds are, are taken to those times with, with families as they gather around and, and we read this passage of scripture or, or, or when, we, when we jump on Facebook and we type in, Jesus is the reason for the season and we feel like we have a grip on, on what Christmas is really about, right? But it looks like that sometimes we are so nostalgic about this passage and this story, this message of Christ and his birth, that we really don't understand that this has implications in our life. We don't understand that, that this is not just a story, but this really happened in, in a real time, in a real place, with real people. And we think about the miracle that actually took place. So I want us to look at this passage with fresh eyes, and I want to quickly walk through it exegetically, and then I want to jump in to uh, uh, something that I, I want us to see very clearly today. First of all, I want you to see Mary and Joseph. Mary, uh, this 13-year-old teenager, was wed to Mary Joseph. Now, I know that there's some people that are raising their eyebrows a little bit right now. 13 years, are you kidding me? And listen, it was a different time, different place, different culture. Average age span was like, I don't know, like 40 years old, 45 years old. So 13 is, you know, you adjust it a little bit, okay? So if you can get past that, we find out something incredible. That inside of this teenager's heart was the kind of faith that it took to please God. Inside of her heart and her life was the thing that God saw that pleased God. Young people here this morning, I want you to listen to me and understand what I'm about to say. If you are older than 13 years old, but you feel like you're too young to make a difference, I want you to understand that the Spirit of God chose a little girl, a teenager, to make a difference in the world. Your life is important, and what you do and how you live today is important. It matters, your testimony. It matters staying pure before marriage. Come on, Mom and Dad. Amen. Amen. And you and I, we have an obligation to live our lives holy and pleasing unto the Lord. These are real people. And at this time, she was about eight months pregnant. I, I don't know about you, but I know that you don't take an eight-month pregnant lady on a trip, okay? Especially by donkey, 90 miles away to, to Bethlehem from Nazareth, okay? You, you don't do that. I mean, like, it, it's so important that, like, like even in my own life, because we've had four babies. I almost said I have had four babies, but my wife would take <laughs> criticism at that point. My wife has had four babies, and, but I've driven every one of them to the hospital. And it's like math that you do during that time of year. How far away can we get to the hospital and still be okay? Well, evidently it's four days away, okay, uh, by donkey. And if you're doing the math, it's uh, four days, eight hours a day, averaging about two and a half 
miles an hour. Okay? Now, there, I, I just know that there are, there are ladies in this place that understand that that is probably the most uncomfortable trip that they, they would ever have taken. But our God is so awesome that he, he orchestrated the emperor of the world to put a tax on the world so that he could arrange for a 13-year-old to travel 90 miles when it was inconvenient. See, God is not necessarily a, a, an efficient God. Sometimes he does things just to amaze us, just to show us that he can. And I think that there's some people in this place that, that would say to themselves, well, I, you don't know my situation, Pastor John. You don't know what I'm up against. You don't know how many mountains would have to be moved in order for God to meet my needs. But I want to tell you today that God can move on the, most, on the emperor of the known world to create a tax on the entire world so that you can be blessed by him. Amen. There is nothing impossible for our God. And sometimes we don't understand the implications that that statement means on our life. But there's nothing impossible. God can do anything that he, any, that, that he has purposed within him to do. As a matter of fact, Micah uh, chapter 5 verse 2 tells us that God, be, uh, that God intended for the Savior of the world to be born in Bethlehem. And that's why it was so important for Mary to be where she was. A little girl from Nazareth to go all the way to Bethlehem. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that God wrote the end first, and then he went back and wrote the beginning to match the end. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that there is no purpose that God has that will not be fulfilled. There is no purpose for your life that God has that will not be fulfilled if you trust in him with your life. God has a perfect plan that he desires to impart to each and every one of us. I, I want you to know that these are not just real people or real places like the distance travel, but this is actually a real place. I can take you to the little town of Bethlehem today. And I can show you where tradition has it that, that Christ was born. I can show you the manger that is carved inside of that rocky cave where hundreds of thousands of people visit every year just to see. I'm so glad that Jesus is not still there in that manger. I'm so glad that you and I don't have to make that trip in order to worship him. But I think it's important that we know that these are real places. It's a real time. As a matter of fact, I can even calculate, with the help of a lot of scholars and a lot of work, Jesus' birthday. And it turns out it was about uh, 2 A.D., all right? Not, not zero, <laughs> 2 A.D. And, and although we celebrated it December 25th, which is a whole entire different message all to itself, we can go back, and if Jesus was born on time, according to John, he was at the fullness of time, we can find out that Jesus probably was born about September 23rd, which is my wife's birthday, and she'll remind you of that. These are real people in real places at real times. This is a real event. It's not just a myth. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just something to incorporate into, into Santa Claus. Amen. 
It's something real that matters to you and I. And as we reflect on this passage of scripture, we find out something that although one angel made the announcement of the birth of Christ, it took the, all the armies of heaven to respond to the implications of his birth. As they said in Luke chapter two, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And that's the very passage I wanna look at this morning. Glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. You see, the truth is that last week we discovered that God's name, Jesus' name or title, is Prince of Peace. One of his titles, Prince of Peace. We found out that that word peace is actually shalom, which means more than just like harmony, right? It means that God desires for us as his body to live in wellness and completion and wholeness and tranquility. He, he desires harmony and peace as well, but he, it's so much deeper. It's so much more than that. And there are people maybe even in this place this morning, and you realize that maybe, just maybe, you don't have the peace that God actually intends for you to be living in. You see, because you can look at your life and, and determine whether you are living in God's perfect peace. And I want us to see that God has a, a desire not just for us to live in perfect peace, but that God has a plan and he's shown us how we can receive his peace. And that the gospel uh, and the meaning of life is wrapped up in the song of the angels. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth with those that he has favor. You see, we are to have glory, are to have peace here with God. We are to continually be praising God, be sending up our praises. And then we have peace, if that's right, here on earth, first within ourselves and then with others. And that's what I want to show you today as we walk through this passage, walk through what that really means. First of all, I want you to know that we can have peace with God. And many of you are probably sitting here and saying, oh, Pastor John, I know that. I've, I've, I've heard it all my life. I've sat through many Christmas messages. There's some of you even this morning that have preached Christmas messages about peace with God. As a matter of fact, this this idea of peace with God uh, and goodwill to, uh, to all men has, has so permeated our culture, even in the New King James or the King James Version, that it's wound up in our Christmas songs. There are many, I looked up the song that says, uh, uh, Peace on earth and goodwill towards men, right? And it turns out there's lots of Christmas songs that say that. And we sing it all the time. But the truth is, it's actually not quite as accurate as, as it looks in that passage. You see, this passage of Scripture, that 
portion of what the angel said has, has, was mistranslated in the King James Version because it gives a connotation that God has come to bring peace to all men. But if we think about the, the ramifications to our belief that God has come to bring peace to all men, then we have to, we're forced to step back and look and see that peace has not come to all men. This world has fallen apart. It's held together by, by duct tape and bell and wire and chewing gum. Okay? It doesn't look like there's peace on earth. And so if peace is supposed to really be on earth, then that means that either God has failed, which he hasn't, that, that what God intended on hasn't yet come to pass, but it has. And so that means that our understanding, our idea that God has come to bring peace to all men might be wrong. You see, if we look in other translations of scripture, we find out that uh, the ESV, the English Standard Version, has, says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Not all men, those with, in whom he is pleased. In ASB, people with whom he is pleased. NIV, to those on, on whom his favor rests. And also the NLT. I want to show you something. That God's peace isn't on everybody. And whenever I say that, there's no argument here. I, I don't see anybody walking out of the, uh, of the church this morning saying, well, I thought God's peace was for everybody. It's not. It's for everybody if you accept it. But it hasn't come to all people yet. It's about it responding to the invitation of what God has come to do in your life in the form of Christ Jesus. It's like if you were at work and you're sitting in your cubicle and, and, and your, your, uh, your neighbor comes over and, and knocks on that cubicle and says, hey, hey, did you, did you see the email from the boss? And you turn around and say, no, because really all the email from your boss goes to trash anyway. But uh, you say, no, I haven't. And, and your, your cubicle neighbor says, uh, he said that, that everybody gets a raise next year. Wow. And you get really excited and you're like, well, you know, Ronald Reagan, trust but verify, right? So you go in your trash and you open up your email and you find out, you read the email and it doesn't say that everybody gets a raise. It says everybody that responds to this email gets a raise. Yeah? Testing to see if it went to the trash or not. And I'm going to be honest with you, you know, uh, uh, I've kind of converted to Google uh, Calendar, and it has that, that invitation thing that it sends. And, and it's at the bottom of the email, the invitation, whenever you schedule something, it, it says, uh, do you, are you planning attending, to attend? Yes, no, or maybe. And I hate that. Because if I'm going to be honest with you, I'm that kind of guy that always clicks on maybe without even looking at my calendar. Maybe. It's in God's hands. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's actually the more biblically appropriate response to those questions because you shouldn't make any plans, right? You should let your yeses be yes. Let your noes be no. Don't, plan, don't make any. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. 
But it's so hard for us to, to say yes, to accept that invitation at times. But that's what is required of us for God, for us to have favor with God, that we accept the invitation, that we accept the gift. And that is how we have peace for, from God to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 explains how we have that peace. Therefore, since we have made right, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. It's by faith that we receive Christ. It's by faith that we believe. It's by faith that we trust. It's by faith that we have peace. Ladies and gentlemen, nothing happens from God unless we have faith. It's faith in him. It's faith in our hearts, in our lives, that what he has done, what he has said is true, and we're willing and ready to stake our life on it because he staked his life for us. Amen. I need you to understand this because even though you're sitting here today in our services or maybe you're joining us online and you may be saying to yourself, well, I understand this. I have, I have prayed a prayer of faith. I have accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. But have you? Are you truly saved? I don't mean to call in question what you've done by faith, but I, I do want to let you know that you can determine whether you are saved or not. And the determination is based on your peace with God. The Bible tells us that whenever he comes into our hearts, he removes the, he, he removes the sin, the guilt, the shame from our sin. And so you should be able to walk around knowing that you know that you know that you are in perfect peace with God. Yet there are some people that struggle. Am I right with the Lord? Have I been made right with him? Today, you can walk away from this place knowing that you know, that you know, that you know that you're saved. You can have peace with God and you can trust that you've been made right. You've been justified just as I stand before the Lord. I can be right. Justified by faith. It only comes through Christ Jesus. Many times we get it in our minds that, that perhaps if we're just simply good enough, perhaps if we're good enough, we can accept the gift of, of God into our life. If, if we can just turn our lives around, if we can get cleaned up a little bit, then God will love us and he'll accept us. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. And it's a sinful approach. We have to come to him, understanding that we are sinners, that our lives are filled with sin, and there's nothing that you can do about it. As a matter of fact, in my mind, I immediately, when I hear that, I go to that, uh, uh, this, this concept, this illustration of falling in the mud, okay? And getting out of the mud and seeing that I'm covered with mud and using my muddy hands to try to wipe off the mud. It doesn't work. My kids have tried it. They still get mud through the house. No matter how much they want, you have to be cleaned in the bathtub. 
And you have to be cleaned of your sin through the blood of Christ Jesus. But it starts with your understanding of why he came. He came for you. He came to bring freedom from sin, from guilt, from shame. And you can be right with him. Do you live with evidence that you are right with Christ? Secondly, if we are right with God, which is essential, then and only then may we live in peace with ourselves. Peace with yourself. Being at peace with God through faith in Christ is the foundation of living in peace. But there is another relationship that God wants you to have peace in. It's yourself. Don't bypass peace with yourself. This internal peace is hard fought because there are times at night when you lay your head down on your pillow and you can't sleep because you are turning and turning and turning over all the events of the day or, 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 or worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. And you're so, so concerned and you're so worried that it's hard to even live. It's hard to do things in your life because, because you are so concentrated on whatever it is that we're worried about. Maybe you're scared that something is going to go wrong or, or because you're happy. And, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of person that if I'm happy for too long, I start getting depressed because I'm sure that something's going to come along to upset me. Anybody else like that out there? Okay, I'm the only strange one. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right? The truth of the matter is, though, is that God wants you to have peace within yourself, but how do you do that? How exactly do we have internal peace? Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, gives us a demonstration of what it looks like to have peace inside ourselves. He sa Isaiah reminds us, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I was driving down the street with my family the other day. Uh, I was, um, uh, the kids are yelling in the back seat, and, I, and I'm talking to my wife, uh, Claudia, and, and I'm just driving down the street. And we're going to a destination. I know exactly where to go. We've been there many times. And, and I, I make a turn, and then all of a sudden, Claudia says, What are you doing? I said, I'm driving. She said, Why are you driving this direction? I said, I don't know. You tell me. And she said, you've made a wrong turn. She said, as a matter of fact, you weren't supposed to turn at all. You're supposed to go straight. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Because I'm talking uh, and I'm, I'm thinking about other things. My mind, I'm going the wrong direction. And as it turns out, you and I oftentimes get lost. We make the wrong turn. It's not because we don't love God. It's not because we don't trust God. But oftentimes our heart gets gripped with the idea that, that we have to worry or think about or be distracted with something else. And our, our mind isn't fixed on him. This morning I want you to know that God intends for you to be fixed on him. Not to be lost. But how, just how... Do we fix our minds on him? 
because many of us feel almost manic depressive inside, that we can walk around and smiling and looking like we have it all together and celebrating this Christmas season, but inside, everything feels hectic. We feel wrapped up and concerned and worry. And it's counterintuitive to believe that if we just stop worrying and we put our eyes and our minds on Christ, then everything will work out. That's counterintuitive. It seems like we should concentrate more. We should focus more. But ladies and gentlemen, if you drive down the street and you're worried about all the places you shouldn't go, then you might just forget about where you're going. Place your mind on Christ. Focus on him. Think about him. And what does that look like in our lives? When we look through Christ and what he's done inside of our lives through the lens of what he's done and who he is, then we realize that when we get upset and distracted about other things, then we can remind ourselves that Christ came so that all of my needs would be met. When we get so frustrated and hurt inside because we feel lonely or abused, we can remind ourselves that that he's never left us or never forsaken us. When we constantly look back towards Christ, no matter what the situation is, then we are guaranteed to walk through life with peace inside of us. Instead, take your eyes off of you and look at him, and then you will know peace. And so we have peace with God, and we have peace with others. Uh, Excuse me, we have peace with God, and we have peace in our hearts. But there's that one little piece of the puzzle, peace with others, isn't it? Because the truth is, it's, it's kind of easy to have peace with God, and it's, it's easy to have peace inside of ourselves, but whenever we get uh, on the street and we start driving, we discover that we really don't have peace with other people. <laughs> God, they ruined my peace with you. In one turn, in one change of lanes, I go from Christian to not so Christian. And it can be hard. Paul tells us that how to have, well, he tells us that we should have peace. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And you throw your hands up when you hear that verse and you say, well, I'm doing everything I can. It's those crazy people out there. That doesn't do any good. I I try. I don't want to walk around living in a war zone, but but the war zone lives in my house. It's tough. And the truth is, is sometimes the people that we're not at peace with live at our house. Even some of the people that we're not at peace with or that are not peace around us aren't even as old as we are. I got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a a, a two-year-old, and like a five-month-old. Lord, it's them that's robbing my peace. I can prove it. But it doesn't matter the circumstances that you're in, whether you're dealing with peace 
with kids, whether they're two or 20, or whether you're dealing with peace at work or peace with neighbors or peace with your spouse. God has called each one of us to live in peace, but what does that mean? How do we come to that place where we can live in peace? What is the roadmap, Paul? Show us what we're supposed to do. Don't just tell us, you know, that we're supposed to live in peace. What am I supposed to do, Paul? And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter four, verse 31, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. I wish that I could just reach inside of, of my kids and flip that switch where all of a sudden they go on peace mode, you know, that you know, quiet mode. But there is no switch. I've looked. I wish that whenever people were in my office that I could, I could, just, I could just show them what, what to do. I could, just, I could just flip that switch inside. I wish that I could flip the switch inside of me. But I can inside of me. You see, I can't control other people. I've tried, can't do it, doesn't work out. But I can control my response. I can control the peace that I bring. And God tells me what I have to do in order to respond in peace so I can live peaceably with other people. As it turns out, when my kids are yelling, it doesn't work to turn around and yell at them. I don't know why I have such a hard time understanding that. As it turns out, whenever I respond sharply to my wife, it doesn't make the situation more peaceful. As it turns out, if I try to write that email and I make it in all caps, people avoid me. But when I respond in peace, when I respond in tenderness, in love, in peace, enters into the situation. Amen. It makes room for peace. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know where you are this Christmas season in peace, but I believe that this message is for someone in this place. Would you stand with me all over? Peace with him, peace with yourself, and peace with others. As simple as this message sounds, the entirety of the life's purpose and the entirety of the gospel message is wrapped up in the announcement of the angels that you and I are to continually give glory to God in the highest heavens and then on earth, peace with all whose God's favor rests upon. Do you live in that kind of peace this morning? If you don't, the good news, the gospel, is that you and I can walk out of this place today right with God. And right on the inside, 
And we have an opportunity now to be right with others. Would you commit this morning, right now, to live inside of God's peace, his perfect peace? Would you just raise your hand right now? Say, God, I'll, I'll live in, in perfect peace. Would you just lift up the other hand right now as we go to the Lord in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you, God, for each one of these hands in the air, Lord, that with their life and their faith, they commit unto you, Lord, to live in perfect peace. Lord, peace with you, peace with themselves, and peace with others. Lord, whether it's family or children, Lord, or spouses or, or people at work, Lord, whether they're laying it in bed at night, worried, sick to death inside of themselves, or Lord, whether, whether they know, Lord, that, that they have failed you, Lord, and they're not right with you. I pray, God, right now, all at once, by the power of your Holy Spirit, because of what you've done by coming here, Lord, that we could have peace right now. So supernaturally, Lord, transform us. Change our hearts and minds to become right to you. Create all things new inside of us, Lord, so that we can accurately reflect your glory and your honor and that we can give you glory forever and ever because of what you've done. We give you the praise right now. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. No, Lord, now as we leave, as we walk out of this place, I pray, God, that we would be lights that shine brightly during this Christmas season for all that you've done and all that you're going to do in each and every heart and life in this place. We'll give you glory and honor and power, for it's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen and amen. God bless you, and Merry Christmas.